morning, church family. Welcome to the Lord's Day here at Evergreen SGV. And uh, I just want to thank everybody. Last week we talked about treasuring Christ and communion. And man, thank you for the effort, you know. And just we're just talking about being more mindful with one another. So when we take communion, we'll be more unified. And hopefully that's, that's emblematic of what's taking on in, in the place, in the life of the church, in communion or in service or out of service. So thank you for doing that. And, and just know if, if someone said, hey, would you like to join us? Just know that's kind of a, perhaps an uncomfortable, perhaps a new thing. So, and it, it extends a lot. It says a lot that they love you, they care about you. And just really just desire for our church family to grow in unity. So thank you for doing that. And this is our part two of our Treasuring Christ series. Last week we talked about treasuring Christ in Jesus' death and in, in celebrating communion. Today we're talking more specifically about treasuring Christ in our finances. We're going to talk about money. And this is going to be a very practical sermon in, in a lot of parts. But uh, we won't really get into the uh, descriptive look on exactly how it may look like in each household, but this is a big picture on what a Christian and his money should look like. Okay, so let me just pray as we pray for the sermon and and, uh, pray for other things going on around us. Father, we thank you for this time, for the opportunity to get together, Lord, in your house, Lord, as one big family, your family. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you went to the cross You gave up your body. You shed your blood so that we could become your brother and sister. So, Father God, I pray we would treasure your son, Jesus Christ, in remembering communion, and we would, this would change how we look at one another, that we are unified because of your son, Jesus. So thank you, Father, for communion, Lord. Father, we pray for certain hard things going around around us with the fires in, in Riverside County, And in San Fernando Valley, Lord, we pray for the fires, for the firefighters, for them to fight the fires, for them to be safe. We pray for good conditions. We pray for uh, the wind to die down so that the fires could be stopped and contained. We pray for those who've lost dearly everything, perhaps, life, home, property. What a reminder that this life is not our home. So, Father, we pray for comfort for those. Somehow we pray you are glorified in these hardships around us. We pray for any prevention of any uh, new fires being started during this time, Lord. So we pray for comfort. We pray for encouragement. And I pray that encouragement comes through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for, as Pastor Kenny, shepherding us and and helping us to not worry. Ultimately, you love us more than we love ourselves. You love our families more than we love our families. You're the generous God who's been generously taking care of us. Most emblematic on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you are generous. Thank you, you who are the richest of all, became poor so that we could become rich. So thank you, Lord, that you are generous. So, Father, we pray that your people here at Evergreen SGV will be a generous people. Father, we turn our direction to the sermon now, and I pray, Lord, that we would be able to treasure your Son, Jesus Christ, through our finances. That we will learn more what it means to be a Christian and how to handle and manage and steward our money that you give us and the possessions that you give us as well. So thank you, Father, for this opportunity to preach through Luke chapter 16. God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would minister truth to our hearts so that we will treasure Jesus Christ more. And as a, as a byproduct, as fruit, we will become more and more generous, knowing that you are the most generous one. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, we're starting this sermon series uh, yesterday talking about communion, and we need to talk about Christ. And it's not about doing, it's not about giving, it's not about these things, it's about do we treasure and love Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. And so this, this uh, week's sermon, Treasuring Christ in Our Finances, and really just talks, touches upon how should Christians view their money and possessions. 
How do you and I view our money and possessions that we have? And so I'm excited. I'm really excited to preach this sermon. It was very sanctifying for myself, and it's important. And I'm, one of the reasons why I'm excited, because it's important to Jesus. And in, in the Bible, there's so much that the Bible talks about, about our finances, about money and our possessions. There are twice as many verses regarding money and possessions than even faith and prayer combined. Jesus, in his recorded words, taught more about money and, and possessions than even heaven and hell. This is important to our Lord. This is important to our Lord. And so today we're going to talk about how do we treasure Christ in our finances. So we're going to be at Luke chapter 16. And as you're turning there, I'll be reading out the NASB version. But as you turn, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Jesus teaches, is teaching through a parable. And what is a parable? Parable is a fictitious story that Jesus makes up. Fiction. To teach on a certain element of the kingdom of God. And he'll use everyday familiar things to teach on eternal things in, in terms of his kingdom. And right now he's addressing the disciples. This is a lesson that he's teaching the disciples in, but he's speaking out loud for other people to hear. So let's rise as we read Luke 16, 1 through 14. And not all of the, the, the par uh, parable, details of the parables are meant to be descriptive. What is the main, what big idea are we trying to learn from the, about the kingdom through the parable? And so let's read Luke 16, chapter, uh, verse 1. Jesus, our Lord, teaches his disciples. Now he was saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account, accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager or steward. The manager said to himself, What shall I do? What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. I got it. So that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do, do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And, he, and his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. Why? So that when it fails, they will receive you into their, into their eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust their true riches to you? Verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Finishing up here. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach on this parable, Lord. Jesus, thank you that you made a huge emphasis on money and possessions. Thank you that you dedicated roughly a third of your parables on money. Help us to learn more about money, but more importantly, help us to treasure you more through the preaching of your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Now, this parable is one of the most confusing parables. Growing up, when I would read this parable, I was just dumbfounded, like, what? This doesn't make sense. How are you praising this steward or this manager there's there's two main characters there's a manager or a steward in essence this steward was a household manager he managed this household of this rich man 
And we'll talk about how rich this man was in a moment. But what is a steward? Steward is someone who manages someone else's money, possessions, possessions, assets, even uh, family uh, uh, members or, or personnel. Possibly this steward could have been born into this rich man's home. Possibly, the, you know, and, and it could have been a very uh, close friend. And there's a lot of affection between the master and the steward. There's a lot of trust here. There's a lot of trust here involved here. And, and, they, and perhaps this steward might have been treated like a son. So this is a very affectionate relationship between master and steward. This is not like my boss and, and, and that type of working relation. This is a lot, family, perhaps. This is very close. So this is that steward. This is that manager. Now the rich man, he's described as a rich man. And he was the master of this steward. He was the owner, maybe even the slave master, perhaps, of this steward who, was, who could have been a slave. And how rich was this man? I mean, it was, it was said that he needed someone to report to him that this, this uh, manager was squandering his wealth. So he was, how rich was he? He was so rich that he needed people reporting back to him. He had no idea. He didn't quite know that this, uh, this manager was squandering as well. This guy was rich. And as I think about it, like, you know, God's allowed me to be around some wealthy people, you know, and, and oftentimes in coaching. But one man comes to mind, uh, Paul Allen. He was our owner. Some of you guys know who he is. And he, he, this man was wealthy. And he was a really good owner. He owned, our, he owned the Seattle Seahawks, and uh, he was very generous. He let us do our work, but he, this was a small part of his, his, his assets and his properties. I mean, he owned the Seahawks. He owned the Trailblazers. He owned the part of the uh, Sounders. He was co-founder of Microsoft. He had all kinds of other businesses. He had uh, all kinds of people working for him. So he, this is what I picture in, in, as a very wealthy man. Paul Allen, Mr. Allen, did not know how every cent and every penny and every dollar was being spent. He needed people reporting to him. Matter of fact, he had layers and layers and layers and layers of people reporting to him. Similar in this way, this rich man needed, needed help managing his money. This guy was really wealthy. And the issue was this. This manager was squandering his wealth. This word squandering is the same word that was used when the uh, prodigal son was squandering uh, his father's inheritance that he gave to him. Right? He's wasting it. And mismanagement, he was incompetent, made poor investments, poor oversight of what's going on. And so there's a confrontation, there's a problem. So the master, as any boss would, he goes, hey, what's going on? I hear about this. He confronts them. This, is a, there's a, this was a costly and difficult confrontation. Like I said earlier, this might have been a very close friend. Maybe almost like a son type figure. Like, what is this I hear that you're wasting my funds here? What's going on? I trust you. What's going on? You're no longer going to be doing this. So that's the issue. And then, the, and then the, this manager oh, clicks into survival mode and starts thinking, oh, man, I'm not strong enough to, to dig. I'm too proud to beg. I mean, he's a, this is a white-collar guy. This is not a blue-collar gardener type of guy now. This is like, I can't do that, that type of work. I'm not going to do that type of work if I could. How do I maintain my lifestyle and my social status? This is the issue. What shall I do, he says, right? And in verse 4, it's like, aha, verse 4, I know what I'm going to do. I got it. Like the light bulb pops off. I got a solution to this thing. And he knows the culture. He's a very shrewd man, as the Bible talks about. He knows how the Jewish culture works, maybe similar to even Japanese culture or Asian culture, where, you know, it was an honor system, honor-shame system. If you did something for somebody, it was appropriate for them to reciprocate, to, to do it back to you. All right, so he goes, you know what? I don't have any money. I, I, my, my, my job situation is about to end right now, but I still ha know about these people who owe my master money. So he basically goes, I got it. I'm going to cut a deal with all these people. And this is a significant thing that he did. In verse 5, is that he summoned each one of his master's debtors. Everyone that owed the master anything, he called them all. And we only have two recorded here. And let me just give you what this means. So one person... Uh, who owed 100 measures of oil, 
you know, scholars calculate that to be 875 gallons, perhaps, of olive oil. 875 gallons. You know how much that's worth? That's worth about three years' wages. Your salary for three years. That's how much that is worth. So he goes, you know what? I got a deal for you. I'm going to be a friend to you. I know you owe 100. My records show that you owe my master 100. Let's cut it down to 50. He just chopped off a year and a half worth of wages. That's a big deal. And the next uh, guy that comes, he owed 100 measures of wheat. You know, as I study this even more, this is even more wager. 100 measures of wheat required 100 acres of farming. That's a lot. And I know many of us aren't farmers, but 100 acres, one acre is a lot, 100 acres. And so basically works out to be 8 to 10 years worth of wages. 8 to 10 years of your, your salary. And what does he do? He goes, you know what, take off 20%, just, you know, 100, knock you down to 80. He just basically shaves off two years worth of income, all right, for this, for, for this farmer. These are significant deals that he was making. And, not, and these are just two people. He says he summoned them all. So imagine how much he was able to just shave off and really how much he was able to rob the, his master for the final time. This is significant here. And this is, this is called stealing. This is, he is, not only is he incompetent, he's dishonest, you know? And so this is adding on to this man's profile. Like there's no way he's going to get a job after this. He's not any good and he's not honest. This is not very good combination. So, I mean, he shows that he's not a principled man. He has no conscience. There's no shame. He, he lacks integrity. He has a corrupt sense of loyalty. And, and when it came down to his only, pri- his only primary concerns was himself. He only cared about himself. This is that man, and this is the stunning response, right? And in verse 8, what does it say? And his master praised the unrighteous manager. What? Right? It's a grown-up. You know, as I read the Bible, like Jesus liked honesty, Jesus liked hard work, and you know, and all these things. I said, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense to me. So you say, Pastor, then why did we go through this uh, this parable teaching on money? Right? There's a profound reason here. Remember what I said earlier. There's always usually one massive point that Jesus makes in these parables. And he wasn't praising him for his unrighteousness. He wasn't praising him for his dishonesty or his incompetence. He was praising him because of his shrewdness. What his shrewdness means is his his craftiness, how cunning he was, his caginess, his calculating nature, how resourceful he was. That's what he was praising for. Wow. He goes, wow. And really what this means is this master was an unrighteous man too. He valued that. He goes, wow, you know what? You stole from me which showed you also how rich he was. It didn't matter to him that much. You stole from me, but you know what? I like that. I kind of see what you did, right? And this is kind of how the world is. I mean, think about your world. Whether it's academics, your business world, you're in law, there's certain, perhaps in law, there's certain like rules and regulations that set up. You understand the principle or the spirit of the law, but Perhaps someone in your industry may find some kind of loophole. Oh, man, we could still operate because we found this loophole. Man, that's pretty good, right? That's kind of how this is. This is the master will simply praise him. Man, you, you know how to compete. You know how to survive. I commend you for that. He wasn't commending him for stealing from him or being disloyal to him. But this, this parable is not a lesson on integrity. Okay, this is, that's why I got hung up as a, as a younger person like this doesn't make sense. This is not about integrity. The second part of the chapter, of verse 8, tells us what this whole point is. Jesus, our Lord, has a huge point. Let me read this for us, okay? And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. We just talked about that. Semicolon. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind. Then the sons of light. Who are the sons of this age? These are non-believers. These are people who live for this world only. Who are the sons of light? This is Christians. These are believers. This is you and me. These are brothers and sisters who have trusted in Christ, the ultimate light. And the point of the parable is this. Be a shrewd steward. Be savvy. Be cunning. Be cagey. How can you squeeze every drop of everything that you've got 
for eternal treasures. And and, and in some ways, this is a rebuke to the disciples and maybe some of us in here too. He's saying, how can people who are competing and battling for earthly temporary treasures be more serious about that than you, Christian, who have eternity waiting for you? Are you as serious about what you do for Christ as the man or woman trying to make a lot of money in this side of eternity? Sometimes now, and this is the world that I'm used to too, sometimes non-believers demonstrate more skill, more savviness, seem to demonstrate more greater levels of commitment, more diligence, sometimes even show a greater sense of urgency. And, and maybe perhaps you guys feel that for me a little bit. He goes, man, Pastor Rocky, why is he so amped up about these things? Why does he seem so intense about these things? I mean, because it's kind of a rebuke on me. In coaching, everything was a sense of urgency. Think about it. You, you don't want to lose a game because you didn't cover something good enough. And if you did, it's... If you did lose the game, it's not because you didn't cover every little detail that could happen that might not even happen. Crazy stuff, right? It it takes you to those levels. But as I look at this, I mean, I've been around people who absolutely care about their money so much. You hear things pumped on the radio and the internet says, hey, secure your future. That level of intensity that, that I've seen in football at the National Football League level in, in college is matched, like how meticulous people are about studying the Dow Jones, studying the stock trends every day, reading magazines, understanding the climate, even what's going on globally because getting ready to anticipate things as uh, uh, financial powers around the world decide to do things. Oh, this is going to implicate what's going to happen to my money. I better move it around. Carefully diversifying our portfolios to make sure we're set up once it comes retirement time, I could live comfortably, right? We, we understand this. This is the world that we live in. It's a way of life. Everything's calculated in this sense. I think many of us could relate to what I'm talking about. But like I said, compared to the world, Christians can be very passive, not indifferent, very casual, perhaps even, sedentary, you know, indifferent towards putting up treasures in heaven. It's like, hey, you know what? I'm very casual about this. And so in some ways, I see this as a rebuke by our Lord, you know, and uh, as the dying world is showing greater uh, shrewdness and dedication to things that are so temporary, for mere trinkets, Mere trinkets. We have this treasure in Christ, and people are competing and battling, killing each other for mere trinkets. Right? This is serious business for mo- mo- many of us. So Jesus is teaching the disciples uh, from a lesser to greater uh, argument. If these people are so serious about these mere trinkets, how much more serious should we be about eternal things? This is what Jesus is saying. That's the point of this parable. He's saying, this manager, the steward, is so serious about securing his earthly livelihood. How much more were all of us, we have eternity waiting for us, right? So right here, we're going to get into the application now. Point number one, Jesus has three points of application from verse 10 to 13. And we're going to go, by, we're going to go through them one by one here. Verse, first point, treasuring Christ in our finances by investing into his kingdom. Let's take a look at verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the, of the wealth of unrighteousness. Why, Jesus? Why? So that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwelling. What is this wealth of unrighteousness? This is money. This is money, money or currency of this age. This age is an unrighteous age. This is a temporary thing that we have. And so let's just ask the first question, what is money? What is money? And, and uh, right here in verse 9, it says, make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. It's just a means. It's a tool. Money is simply a tool that God gives us. And really, it's a world-made system. It, all it is is a world system to simplify trade for services or for goods instead of like trading goats or things that people don't want. Here's money. Everyone wants money because you could do something with it, right? So it simplifies uh, commerce and trade, 
Right? That's why even in Europe, they try to go to one currency you know, to make, make it even that much easier. That's why now you could just take a credit card overseas and, and charge stuff. It's a lot easier now. We, people could do commerce a lot easier. So it's just a tool. And money is neither good nor bad. It's, just, it's a neutral uh, element. What you do with it is a different question, but money itself is not good or bad. And what is the nature of money? The Bible says in verse 9, when it fails. Not if it fails, when it fails. Verse 9 says, when it fails. It's going to fail you. It's not going to fulfill you. It will let you down. It's temporary best. Proverbs 23, 5, chapter 23, 5 says, your wealth will take wings and like an eagle fly away. It's going to leave you. As, as we all know, we all have expenses and as much money as we like to save, we have to spend it. People may steal it. And so this is certainly, this is certainly a truth that money is not forever, and you certainly cannot take it with you when you die. And we've seen that picture of how people try to uh, take their money with them when they died, the pharaohs of Egypt, right? This is a classic story where, where, where prominent person dies, another human dies, and they tr- bury themselves with all their treasures, all the gold and all the artwork and all that stuff. And what does the Bible say in Matthew 6, uh, 19? Matthew 6, 19 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, okay, Pharaoh, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Tomb, tomb robbers came and stole their stuff. Or a museum that's put in a museum now. So how classic that is. Even uh, thinking back to Mr. Allen, my old owner, um, about a year ago he passed away, October 15th. Last year he passed away and I assure you he left everything he had behind to relatives or other people and he, didn't, he wasn't able to take it with him. So then you say, Pastor, okay, that's great. Money is just a tool. All right, money is temporary. Okay, what is money for then now? What is the purpose of money? It says this in verse 9. Verse, verse 9, it says this, going back to Luke chapter 16. So that when it fails, as Jesus says, it will fail, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Make friends that will be able to welcome you into heaven. So we talk about, you know, I talked to my children one time, what kind of stock is better, you know, Apple or this other stock? And they know Apple, you know, they know about the iPhone and all that stuff. But this is heavenly stock. When you invest into kingdom work or helps people to come to know Christ, that's heavenly stock. People, souls are heavenly stocks. Are you investing into lives that will live on to eternity when, and they'll welcome you in when you get to heaven yourself? This is what Jesus is talking about. If, if people are working so shrewdly for stocks that's going to fail someday, how much are we investing into souls that will last forever? Mr. Allen, I, like I said, he was a great owner. He was a very generous man. He loved Seattle. I mean, he was one of the main reasons why the Seahawks was able to stay in Seattle. But not only that, he loved Seattle. He built up museums. He was building up sky rises, renovating the whole area. He was a light guy. He was a loved man in, our, in, 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 in the Northwest. He made earthly friends, good things, but even that is temporary. Are we investing into kingdom work? Are we investing into eternal stocks, heavenly stocks, souls? Remember, Brother Albert talked about what are the two things that last forever? God's word and people, souls. Souls will live either in two addresses for eternity, in heaven with God or in hell apart from God forever. Souls last forever. This is a work that will pay dividends forever. These are treasures in heaven. So how do we treasure Christ in our finances? Invest in his kingdom. People make up his kingdom. Point number two. Let's move on here. Treasuring Christ in our finances by being faithful stewards. Verse 12 here of Luke 16 says, this is somebody else's stuff. Jesus says, how can you, if you're not faithful with someone else's stuff, how are you going to get what is your own? Jesus says this. This is not even yours. So who owns our money? As Pastor Dave talked about it, God owns it all. Jesus owns it all. Right? 
I'm going to read you a couple verses. I think they might be behind me. But Luke, uh, Psalm 24. Psalm 24, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Psalm 24. King David writes, The earth is the Lord's. Why? Because he's the creator of all things. He created it himself. And all that it contains, every person, every animal, every plant, every gift that you, you've been given, every physical asset that is available, gold, silver, all that, the world and, and all those who dwell in it, God owns it all. Haggai 2a says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. God owns everything. So what does that mean? That our money, our homes, our cars, our, our even our own bodies aren't even our own. God owns it all. We're stewards, just like this, this manager or the steward in this parable. We, need, we will answer to somebody someday. We will answer to God someday. And, and it's, it's important that we understand what is the goal of a steward. Right? What is the goal of a steward? 1 Corinthians 4.2, this is a very encouraging passage for me. This is talk, talking about as Paul's a steward or, or, or slave of Christ. He, and he, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 4, he describes what, how he gauges success as a pastor. All right? And how do you gauge success? This is a transferable principle, I believe. How do you gauge success stewarding your finances? Well, this is a steward must be found trustworthy or faithful. It's not even the results. Who knows what's happening as you're investing into the kingdom? You don't know. Now, we want to be shrewd and, and, and invest in ministries that we believe in, ministries that are faithful. But at the end of the day, are you faithfully investing your money and resources and time and talents into gospel ministries? Be faithful. Did I use what I have been entrusted with towards the owner's best interest? Am I advancing God's purposes? So results are not the issue. Results are not the issue. But let's look to verse 10 here. It talks more about faithfulness here in Luke 16. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also much. This is human nature, brothers and sisters. This is how it works. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. You may have heard of people or you may even say it to yourself, hey, pastor, if I had more, I'd give more. I'd be more generous. The Bible says here, if you're faithful in a very little thing, you'll be faithful also much. If you're unfaithful in a little thing, you'll be unfaithful in much. I remember just coaching and some of the fun memories I have is players that, you know, maybe didn't practice very hard or weren't very committed to working out and studying. He goes, hey, don't worry, coach. Game time. I'll play hard. I'm like, forget that. We're going with a guy that's serious, you know, and it's like I have a much higher confidence for someone who's dedicated and practicing and running hard uh, during practice. So when the game happens, it's just natural, right? Here's a word to some of the singles in here, okay? If you say, yeah, you know, once we get married, he or she will get a little bit more serious about Christ. Forget that. Also, watch them right now, okay? Because how they are is pretty much what you're going to get. And God could do miracles. I'm not saying that it's a hopeless situation. <laughs> Ask my wife. You know, I've changed, right? <laughs> but don't, don't, don't do it like that, though. But pretty much be wise, be observant. Coach carries to tell me, watch them and listen to them. They're telling you constantly who they are. Watch carefully. All right, nobody's perfect. I get that, but you're pretty much going to get that same person. And no, you won't be able to change them, you know. <laughs> so, me, like I said, you know, it could happen, but I care for you. <laughs> and so, this is a maxim about faithfulness. If you're faithful to little things, elevated things, you'll become more faithful. Words are you faithful? with your words even. Are your yes is yes or your no is no? When you say you're going to be someplace, are you going to be there? If you say, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, uh, show up at this time, are you pretty much there on that time? You know, I get it. There's things that happen in life, but are you earnestly trying to keep your word? Talents. Are you using the gifts that God gave you right now? 
You know, like I believe the Lord will raise up elders and we'll be able to recognize who are going to oversee the church. But right now, watch. Because they're exercise, these elders are exercising their gifts right now. They're teaching, they're shepherding, they're loving on the people well right now. It isn't, oh, once I get the title, I'll be faithful. Forget that too. Watch. You care about this church family. I care about this church family. Be observant. Who are the men loving and shepherding the church family right now? These men will be faithful later on too. So money, if you're already generous with your money, praise God. God could trust you with more. God could trust you, but if you're not, perhaps that's why maybe you don't have more. Why would the master give you more if you, if you haven't been faithful with what you've already been given? Even non-believers understand that. Why would you be given more responsibility? Why would you get a raise? Why would you get a promotion if you're not faithful at the work? I mean, let's turn our direction to verse 11 and 12 now. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the truth riches to you? There it is. Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, namely God's, who will give you that which is your own? So what is this true riches in verse 11? What is your own talking about in verse 12? This is talking about eternal rewards. This is talking about eternal treasures. But the Bible teaches that faithfulness will yield unique treasures in heaven. I know we don't talk about this that much, but this is a reality. Here's some examples. Well, those who have been faithful will be given elevated responsibilities in heaven. We'll help Jesus rule somehow who have been faithful. The Bible also talks about certain crowns, certain unique honors, certain special honors. So I want to flesh this out a little bit. What's the difference between salvation, which we talk a lot about, which is obviously critically important, and eternal rewards? They're different. They're different. They're two different things. I'm going to just contrast them back and forth, okay? Salvation is a free gift of grace, absolutely free, unearned. Rewards are completely earned. Salvation is already done. If you're in Christ, you have been forgiven. You're a son or daughter of God. Done. Rewards are future. You haven't received those yet. Salvation, you cannot lose. I believe the Bible in no unclear terms teaches that the Father holds us and nothing could take us out of his arms. Done, secured, eternally. Rewards can be forfeited. Rewards can be forfeited based on your faithfulness. Salvation is for all believers. We're going to enjoy the same salvation, uh, same standing as sons and daughters. But... Rewards will vary from, from person to person based on faithfulness. These are things that motivate Christians that there are actual rewards. This should motivate you. Point number three, last point here. Jesus' last point of application. Jesus applies truth. Treasuring Christ in our finances by loving him more than money. All right? Loving him more than money. Verse 13. This is the second time verse 13 is preached by Jesus. First time was in a Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, I believe. Second time, this is how important this is. This is critically important to our Lord. No servant, verse 13, can serve two masters. Can't be on two teams. It's got to be on one team. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or God and money. This word serve is used twice in this, chap, in this verse, chapter, um, verse 13. Serve, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. This word serve in the original language, duleo is talking about serving as a slave. Serving as a slave. There's a certain humility that slaves have. I don't think any of us have been slaves. And that slave, 2,000 years ago in the time of Christ, all he wanted to do was please his master. And, and as a, as a, that's the heart of a slave. So the question is, I ask, who am I owned by? Does God own me? Or does money own me? 
And he talks about love here because who or what I love the most, I will serve. Who I love the most, I'm owned by. So at the end of the day, just like Jesus asked Peter in John 21, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. If you love Christ, you will do exactly what he tells you to do. Maybe not perfectly, but genuinely. If you love Christ, you will be investing into his kingdom. If you love money, you'll be investing into Wall Street. You'll invest into real estate. Not that, not that that's a bad thing, but that's your ultimate investment is what I'm saying. We need to, I think it's wise to, to grow our money so that we could be more generous. I, I think that's a good thing. We don't want to be frivolous. It's okay to save. It's okay to save for retirement. It's okay to leave an inheritance for your children. Those are good things. But you got to know why you're doing it. You cannot serve two masters. You can't, you can't straddle the line, I'm serving God, but really I'm, I'm serving money too. That doesn't work. Eventually it's going to tip. You're going to fall one, onto one side or the other. And Christ abs- commands absolute and total allegiance to him because he's Lord. Who do you love? What do you love the most? Money's a good thing if it's in its proper order. Money is an evil thing when it's out of order. And earlier on, I preached this message, or we went over this message at 8 o'clock with a couple people who were serving at the kids' church, and I asked, why, why is this such a big deal, you know? Why is this such a big deal? And he goes, all of them to a, to a man and woman said, well, it's because money is, is applicable today. We, we relate to it. Just because ha- Jesus taught on this 2,000 years ago, it mattered to Pharaoh thousands of years before Jesus. It matters to us even today. Money, money. And here's a warning, verse 14. I, I debated if I should add verse 14 in there because it kinda, there's a transition with this now, but I think this is important that we understand this. There, there's a warning here. Our Lord gives us a warning here. So Jesus is purposely teaching the disciples. But he's saying it out loud. And he knows who's listening. This is mainly directed towards the disciples, his disciples, to us. But he's saying it loud enough for the Pharisees to hear. Our Lord is brilliant. He loves everybody. He's giving everybody a chance. Verse 14 says, Now the Pharisees, here's their identity, who were lovers of money. That's what defined them. Who were lovers of money. We're listening to all these things and we're scoffing at him, putting their nose at him, sticking their nose up at him. Like, what does this homeless carpenter guy know about money? This guy's poor. Like, who is he to talk about money? We know about money. We have money. Right? There's an arrogance about that. And right now, you may be scoffing at me. You may be pastor. Like, who are you to tell me how to spend my money. How I spend my money is my business. I worked hard for my money. You may be sitting right there. I'm not saying all of you or any, but perhaps there may be people in here right now. You might be scoffing at me, the preacher, right now. You may be thinking it's ridiculous. I'm not going to give my, heart, my hard-earned money away to just people. Right? There's a warning there. The Pharisees were scoffing because they were lovers of money. If that's you right now, you need to repent. And God is gracious. That's why he preached this message. Don't you think there's this issue even in the disciples? One of them did love money. He, he traded in Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Don't you think that you love and repented to some levels? So why did Jesus make this such a big deal? I mean, all that teaching, so much of the Bible dedicated on this, so much of the parables taught on money and finances. <clears throat> what I like to look at is money is like fire. This is what came to my mind. I was thinking about money. Money is like fire. Fire is a good thing. Could be a good thing. Cooking food, keeping you warm, creates energy. Those are good things. But mo- fire is also volatile as we're learning around us as homes and, and, and trees and wilderness is burning. Fire could consume you. Fire can consume. I'm just going to give you three things to think about here from the scriptures. Okay? 1 Timothy 6 10, if you're a note taker, 1 Timothy 6 10, you can study it more deeply, but 
it warns pastors about loving money. It doesn't say money is evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. If you love money so much, you'll serve it, you'll do evil, you'll sin. Mark 4, 19, so I'm going to go fairly quickly over this. Over this. Mark 4, 19 says this. The deceitfulness of riches chokes out your fruitfulness. You'll be so focused on the false promises of wealth that you won't be mindful of serving the Lord and producing fruit. But thirdly, this is the most scariest one, Matthew 19, 23 to 24. Jesus is addressing a rich young ruler, and rich young ruler denies Christ in that moment, hopefully repented later on, but in that moment he, he denied Christ. And he said, Jesus makes a statement in verse 23 and 24 that it's easy for a camel, massive beast here, big beast, to go through an eye of a needle. My mom was a seamstress. I know what needles are. You got you to lick the thread, right, ladies, and, and kind of feed it in there. Right? You can't just put it in a limp, right? You got you to lick it and get it in there. It's tiny, this little hole, tiny. And he's in this massive beast with humps on his back is able to get through this, this eye of a needle. And the disciples ask, well, who could be saved then? Jesus says, with, with men, this is impossible. With God, with God, all things are possible. God saves. That's why we love him so much. Jesus died for us on the cross. That's why we treasure him so much. Jesus bought us on the cross. And therefore, we know that he owns all of us, every bit of us. Therefore, in order to be faithful, we need to invest in his kingdom, into his team, into his world. And we've been duped for, for some, at some levels that this is all that there is to live for, not even close. There, there's eternity to live for. I want to encourage some of us here. And for newer people, it's taken years and years of sacrificial giving just to be worshiping in this place right now. Years, maybe two decades worth, even longer for some people. So I want to thank the faithful givers and supporters to this work for all these years. Look at where we've come now. I want to encourage you in this. Your work is not being wasted. The gospel is being advanced at the work here at Evergreen SGV. And I also want to just talk about this. Perhaps you're sitting there right now and you're not scoffing. You're like, yeah, amen, amen. But it's been hard. It's been hard. You've been generous. You've given up opportunities to go on vacations. You've given up living in certain neighborhoods. You've given up driving certain cars. You've given up in limited eating out at certain places. Right? You're sitting there. And I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters. Thank you. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. And as, as I was thinking about the church family, there's been so many things, you know, and I want to read this, uh, this story, this brief story by uh, Randy Alcorn, which I've been reading in his, one of his books. He's talking about an atheist and a devout Christian. Um, it goes like this. Two men owned farms side by side. One was a bitter atheist, the other a devout Christian. Constantly annoyed at the Christian for his trust in God, the atheist, or the scoffer, I, I've added that in, said to him one winter, let's plant our crops as usual this spring, each the same number of acres. You pray to your God, and I'll curse him. Then come October, let's see who has the bigger crop. When October came, the atheist was delighted because his crop was larger. See, you fool, he taunted. He scoffed. What do you have to say for your God now? My God, replied the other farmer, <clears throat> doesn't settle all his accounts in October. We will be paid back someday by his grace. <clears throat> and um, I debate if I should share this, but I will. Um, I shared with the earlier group, but um, I think to my, uh, as our time here, uh, as our transition, one of the hard things was you know, as, as, as a provider, as a husband, you want to provide for your wife and your, and your children. And that wasn't so much the thing for me, but it, it, was a, it was a tension for my family. And since we loved our home, my wife loved our home. We loved, this is the neighborhood as a girl she grew up wanting to live in. 
We lived five minutes from her parents' house. I mean, it was a beautiful place, you know. I mean, the house was nice, but the area was, was incredible. This was a tension for us, you know. I mean, this is something that we like, we enjoy, we could see staying here for the rest of our lives, you know. And so what happened was that um, finally the Lord moved our hearts and, and we had a conviction to do this. And Sharla said, okay. It was interesting, as soon as we moved out, um, people came in and uh, God provided a great buyer and we knew what they were going to do, but days after we left, they tore down the house. It's gone. It doesn't even exist anymore. Right? I mean, they erected something even more beautiful. We drove by, but it was like, wow, Lord, that's how it works, doesn't it? We're not home yet. But we will be someday. And my hope, as a pastor of this, of this church family, is that we'll have incredible riches waiting for us. Be wise with your days and your hours and your monies and your opportunities right now. There's stuff that we could do and invest in right now that we can't invest later on in the other side of eternity. Think, drink deeply of heavenly things. I don't believe in that saying, if you're so heavily minded, you're no earthly good. You need to be heavily minded so you're earthly good. Drink deeply. We're not home yet, brothers and sisters. This is not what this is about. Use what God's given you. It's his money, his time, his talents, his energy, his opportunities, his education, his relationships that you give him, his influence that you have. Use that for treasures and investing into eternity. This is what this is about, brothers and sisters, in no unclear terms. We're living for, the, for eternity. We're not living for now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to preach on uh, Luke 16. I thank you that you led me there, and uh, somehow, um, Lord Jesus, you knew that this would apply to Evergreen SGV today, 2019. Father, I thank you for how gracious you are and, and generous you've been to our family, our church family. We are pretty well off financially compared to the rest of the world and even in America. I thank you for how generous you have been with us. God, I pray you allow us to be more generous, grow more generous. We, there's no way we can outgive you because you gave us everything. And we believe that you will provide for our needs. So, Father God, I pray you bless the people wherever they're at in different seasons. Perhaps some of us are in retirement. Allow them to be faithful to the end. Whatever they have, allow them to be faithful to the end. Perhaps we're in the prime of our, of our lives. Allow us to be faithful, not get caught up with the issues of the world. Perhaps we're young and we don't even have a job. We've never earned a penny yet. I pray you would generate in our hearts, the young people in our hearts, to be generous because, Jesus, you are generous. So, Father, I pray a prayer or blessing, and I pray we will reap all the benefits that you say that we will have in eternity. I pray we will be hev so heavenly minded that we would invest into heaven right now. And so, God, I thank you for this church family. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would be motiv motivated because we treasure your son, Jesus Christ, so much. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.